1: So, we're going to do a series this next year in the evening, after we finish Ephesians. Uh, let me give a, a, a bumper, not video, a bumper presentation in person. We'll finish this series um, in the middle of August, I think the 14th. And Beginning on the 21st, we're going to start a new series, and it's going to be a Bible story series. About three or four years ago, we preached through the Bible, book by book by book by book. This time what we're gonna do on Sunday evening is we're going to tell the story of redemption from beginning to end in 49 weeks with three weeks in between for uh, VBS, whenever that is next summer, and uh, for Christmas and New Year's off. But apart from that, it'll be 49 weeks. We're gonna begin, where do you think we'll begin? We'll begin at one tree and we'll end at another tree. We'll begin in Genesis with the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then we're going to end with the tree of life. And we'll talk about the plan of redemption using some of the, main, the major stories of Scripture. Well, the reason I say that is tonight it's really something like that in a way, except in reduced uh, uh, minimal form. The story begins with light And it ends with light, doesn't it? So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning, everything was without form and it was void. And it was the first day. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And, of course, what he did was he created light without the sun, the moon, and the stars. Isn't that interesting? When does that come? Which day? Fourth day. Fourth day. How can there be light without the sun, the moon, or the stars? Well, we go to the end of the story. The end of the story in Revelation says there's not going to be a temple in our home in heaven. And there won't be a sun or a moon. There won't be a need for the sun because what? He is the sun. He is the light of the world. So it begins with light. It ends with light. In between we've got light. Illuminating the pathway. Um, so we saw in Isaiah sixty, arise, arise, sleeper. We're going to come back to that passage tonight uh, in Ephesians five. And the picture of light in Isaiah. Another picture of light in Isaiah, of course, is uh, Isaiah nine. The people who walk in darkness will see a what? A great light. Those live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. Where do we see that next in Scripture? It's in the temple, an expanded, well, a condensed version of this, actually. It's in the temple, and an old man takes a little baby in his arms. And, of course, the baby is who? Jesus, and who is the old man? Simeon. And what does he say? Behold, a light to the Gentiles, the salvation for the nations. And then when do we see it next? We see it next, actually, in um, in Matthew's Gospel. We see it next in two places. In Matthew's Gospel, when John the Baptist is proclaiming Christ is coming, and then When Jesus heard that John was put in prison, he then went into Galilee and he began to preach and he left Nazareth and he went to Capernaum and that is to fulfill the prophecy of, as it turns out to be Isaiah, he went into the region of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea, by the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were living in darkness saw a great light and those who were sitting in the land of the shadow of death upon them a light has dawned. So we have light at the beginning, we have light in the middle, we have light at the end and of course the other creation account that we have is in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shone in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Which could be taken a couple of ways. It didn't understand it, which is true, but another way of interpreting that verb is and the light did not overcome it. And so we know that Jesus says to his disciples in John 8 and John 9 and John 12, I am the what? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will will not walk in darkness. So light at the beginning, light in the middle, light at the end, and he is coming again. You know, the world's kind of turned upside down, hasn't it? There's a book entitled, uh, The World Lit Only by Fire, or something like that. And it's talking about pre-modern times when, and it's not just about fire and lights, but when everything was in darkness from Uh, four o'clock, five o'clock in the evening, whenever it was in the winter maybe, until five or six o'clock in the morning, unless you happen to be wealthy enough to have oil for a lamp or candles. The world was lit only by fire. And it's against that background that we understand what Paul's talking about tonight. A land of, can you imagine, a land of a world of darkness. Thy word is a, we heard the kids say this morning, A lamp into my feet and a light into my pathway. You know this. You know that the only way that they could walk in a dark land was to tie around their ankles foot lamps that were filled with oil. How would you like to light your pathway that way? With oil sloshing around over your toes. (laughs) It was a land filled with darkness. And of course, evil, evil, we typically think of evil habitating the darkness and good being in the light. But the world's kind of turned upside down now. What is the brightest spot on Earth? I saw this on Jeopardy the other day. OK? It was one of those $200 questions, I think. What is the brightest city on Earth, observed from space by astronomers and measured by lumens and all that? Is it Los Angeles? is it london las vegas. who said it tokyo no not tokyo las it's las vegas. las vegas how's that for a city of lights <laughs> a beacon of hope <laughs> you see what i mean the world's kind of turned upside down and <laughs> and the darkest place on earth Uh, Yeah, well, you know, I was talking about Iron Mountain. I imagine if you went down in the middle of Iron Mountain now and turned off all the lights, it'd be pretty dark. But the darkest place on the surface of the Earth is an island in uh, the Canary Islands. Roque de los Muchachos. I have no idea whether I said that right, did I? Okay. It's in the Canary Islands. It's actually a Palma Island. It's uh, sitting up 7,860 feet above sea level. And it's so far away from civilization that only 2% of ambient light at night is there. So you might imagine there are a number of observatories that are on the top of that mountain. In fact, we live in a world of light pollution, don't we? world's turned upside down. 80% of the world experiences light pollution, and a third of the world cannot even see, and I think we're part of that third of the world, cannot see the Milky Way when you walk out at night. If I go out and look for stars at night, of course, I live right next to a whole bunch of streetlights. You know, I see maybe four. (laughs) But you go out to uh, Big Ben at night, you see more than two stars. You see more like, what, 2,000. The world's kind of turned upside down. The brightest lighthouse in in America casts a beam 24 miles long. Can you imagine that? What a powerful beam! Well, enough about light. This series is about walking worthily. We we entitled it Walking Worthy. I think it actually might be better to be an adverb, but you know what we mean. Walking as people who are worthy. Uh, Three weeks ago, we talked about, Joel talked about putting away the old ways and putting on Christ. And then I spoke about avoiding divisive, divisive problems in the church. Falsehood, lying, and foul language were just examples. But things that cause contention and strife in the church to maintain unity and so that the church will walk in a worthy manner. And last week Kevin talked about then the beginning of a, a sub-block in this material. Because you come to chapter 5 verse 1 and there's a transitional sentence there where it says basically we then are to imitate God and to walk in the way of what? Love. And so, what we are doing, what we did last week, this week, and next week is about really walking worthily in the way of love. And last week, Kevin talked about that means that we purge ourselves of immorality, impurity, greed, and idolatry. And tonight, I'm going to talk about walking in the light. And then, three weeks from tonight, because next week is VBS, and then the Sunday after that is the 3rd of July, and we're going to take a little break, and then we come back on the 10th. And then I think that it is uh, Mark is going to talk about walking carefully. So walking in love, purging, walking in the light tonight, walking carefully. How do we walk carefully? By following the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So walking in the Spirit. So let's take a look at the text tonight. Therefore, you know what that means. Much of what we've said before, and we'll talk about that in a moment, do not be partakers with them. Who is them? Is that grammatically correct? Actually, it's who is they, but since it says them, then we'll say who is them? For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed with the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper. Isaiah. Isaiah 60. Awake, sleeper and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you." You know, as we've said before, Paul's concerned about a few things by way of background in this text. He's concerned about maintaining unity in a diverse body. He's concerned about the possibility of deception and darkness encroaching upon the church. He is concerned about the need for Christian maturity, which we've already talked about, and then the constant threat of a return to pagan behavior. That's still the background for tonight's text. And in this text, we see three or four things that God's telling us. The first of those found in verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8. Take a look at it. Don't participate. I mean, don't, what what does it say? Don't partake then of darkness. So don't identify with darkness. Secondly, then positively walk as children of the light. End of verse 8 and 9 and 10. And then we'll look at a third thing. Do not participate in darkness. Is there a difference between not partaking in the darkness and not participating in darkness? There is. And then finally, he speaks in verses 13 and 14 about Christ's light and how Christ's light brings light and life. So first of all, in verses 7 and 8, Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are, the, are light in the Lord. This word partakers, you know, when we think of partaking, we think of going to Thanksgiving dinner and partaking. We think of taking something. We think of maybe eating something or receiving something and grabbing something. That's really not what this verb means here. It could involve that kind of activity, but it's really talking about identity. It's, it's talking about um, uh, not identifying with. So don't identify with darkness, um, with them, it says here. Uh, the word participate or partake here means to associate with. So don't associate with darkness. And don't aso- associate with those who are doing dark works. Uh, it, it literally is two words put together that means to partner Together with. Don't partner together with. Don't be then partakers with. It's used only twice in the New Testament. So, to give us an idea of what it means, the other text is actually found in the third chapter. We've already covered it. Look at verse number six. When it spoke about the mystery of Christ, okay? that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members. So you see this, uh, this you're a fellow heir, you're a fellow member of the body. And then it says you're a fellow partaker. What does that mean? You're a fellow associate. You're identified with those that are fellow members and members of the body. And you're fellow partakers of identifying with the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So it's not just about receiving and taking something. It's, this is about the core of our being. Where is the center of you? Where do you find it? And with whom do you associate? With which group? And it's not just talking about with which group of people, but it does mean that partly in this context. There's a them we'll come to in just a moment. It, it reminds me of in Philippians, you know, just before the Canonic uh, hymn, That is the hymn of the pouring out of Christ. Paul encourages the Philippians to be of the same mind as Christ, but before that he says to be like-minded. Do you remember that in Philippians when we did the Bible study in Philippians about five years ago? So it's the same idea. It's not the same word, but it means sort of like being like-minded. And and remember what he said to the Philippians, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. You you could almost take this and put it right in the middle of Ephesians because of Paul's concerns for the Ephesians. You see, it's when we associate with people that are of the same interest, of the same worldview, of the same behavior, the same way of thinking. That's what he's talking about here. We have an either-or choice then, our identity. Where is the core, the center of our being going to identify? Um, And... Where do we partake with others in that community? It's an either-or world. We either choose to be members of the world. We're in the world, but are we, you know the question I'm going to ask? In John 17, we're in the world, but we're not what? Of the world, yeah. Uh, but what's the opposite? Ah, what's the opposite of the world? You might say the church, well, no, not really. You might say this group or that church. Or the church is a part of it if it's a true church. But what's the opposite of the world? It's the kingdom of God. It's kingdom of heaven. So we have a choice to make. With whom do we associate our identity? With the world. And Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You either serve the world or you serve God. John exhorts us in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone does, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires... So you see, now what he's talking about here, John's putting it in context. What kind of association should we not have? He said, it's the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions. Hmm. This isn't from the Father. You see, it's from the world. So... Don't be partakers with them. Who is them? Well, so this goes back to the beginning of this block when Joel was talking about uh, putting off the world, the, the, the identity with darkness. You look back at chapter 4, verse 17, when that block began, and to put on Christ. So we have a choice. We keep the world on as clothing. And we don't have Christ or we shed the clothing of the world and we put on Christ. And he talked then about Gentiles. Now, you know, he talks about Gentiles in two ways in Ephesians. In, in one sense, he talks about Gentiles now are embraced. They're part, of the, they're part of the body. And this is a great thing. And then he talks about Gentiles here and they're to be shunned. But what he's talking about there, it's the way of the Gentiles. You see, the way of the Gentiles apart from Christ. Before you then were redeemed. The way of the Gentiles who are darkened in their understanding, whose minds are futile, you see it says here, who are ignorant, who, who are, have hardened their hearts, who have become callous. Don't identify with them. It goes back to that root at the beginning of this blog. Gentile persons can take part in the gospel, thank God. Right? How many Gentiles do we have here today? We're, we're all Gentiles. So that, that's the good news. We can take partake. We can partake, we can participate as well. We can partake, identify, and associate with the gospel, but we're not to behave in the Gentile way. We're not to behave in the old pagan way. You see, for these are also identified, and this is what Kevin talked about last week in verse number six, chapter five. They're identified as sons of what? What does it say in verse six? Sons of disobedience. They deceive with empty words. The sons of disobedience we find introduced all the way back near the beginning of Paul's letter here in chapter 2, verse 2, where he says, Those are sons of disobedience who follow the prince of this world. And they are children of wrath or wrath. 2 3. And he repeats that again in 5 6. So what he's saying here is, Don't be a part of that darkened world, that Gentile world that is composed of sons of disobedience that are children of wrath. The reason why? We either identify with darkness or we identify with light. There's no what in between. There's no gray in between. One or the other. We've made a commitment as Christ followers, Paul's saying. And when we do this, this means that we leave the darkness and we follow who? Jesus. Who is the what? The light of the world. And if you follow me, you will no longer be in darkness, he says. Think about that. I said this a couple weeks ago. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is a great promise. It's also a command. Okay? The promise is, if you're following me, you're not going to walk in darkness. (laughs) He's also saying, if you follow me, you will, you will walk, you will not walk in darkness. I think it's as much of a command as it is a promise. The Reverse of that is, if we're walking in darkness, then there's pretty good evidence that we're what? Not following Jesus. So because we're children of light, we don't walk in the darkness, we don't then uh, partake of it. Instead, we then are light in the Lord, he says. We believe in the light, John 12 tells us. Jesus says, if you believe in me, if you believe in the light, then you may become children of light. Actually, the original says sons of, but you know what it means, be children of light. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul tells us we then have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ. So we become children of light, and then we have the light of that knowledge of him, and then we become children of light in 1 Thessalonians 5. Children of light and the day, not children of darkness and the what? And the night. And of course, Jesus' great uh, statement in the Sermon on the Mount We're not only salt, we're what? We're light. You are the light of the world. Therefore, don't hide your lamp. Don't hide your light. Do what? Don't put it under a bushel. Put it on a lampstand so that it might shine in the house and everybody will see it so that they can praise you. No. So that they will what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we've chosen to be that. Then he says, secondly, therefore, walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Fruit is proof of two things, I think, here. Fruit is proof of genuineness, and fruit is uh, proof of productivity. What did Jesus say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? He's talking about false prophets, and he says, You will know their what? You will know them by their fruit. You don't gather grapes. From thorn bushes and you don't gather figs from thistles you get thistles from thistles and you get thorns from thorn bushes you get grapes from I was gonna say grape trees (laughs) you go to grapevine you don't get grape. you don't get grapes you get the fruit of the vine and grapevine don't you yeah Uh, so you you go to grapevines to get grapes and you go to fig is it bushes Uh, trees thanks Um, So it's a proof of genuineness, isn't it, fruit? It's also an indication of productivity. This idea of fruit means being fruitful, bearing good fruit. And he's talking in the next verse, verse number 11, he says don't produce unfruitful deeds. So here's the contrast. The fruit you see of light is this. So you're to be producing the fruit of light and not the unfruitful deeds in verse number 11. This fruit consists of what? And and by the way, Jesus also said, "You'll you'll know the 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 fruit whether it you'll know the tree by its fruit whether it's a good tree or a bad tree." This fruit consists of three things: goodness, righteousness, and truth. This word goodness is what we find in the fruit of the spirit. It's the sixth aspect of the fruit of the spirit: faith, love, joy, patience, goodness. And and that word goodness that we use in English isn't the word here. It's actually the next word. Goodness, kindness is what is meant here. There are two dimensions to the word. This goodness uh, is built on the word that means to be pleasant, to, to be attractive, to be beautiful. And it has two dimensions. There's a spiritual posture about goodness. That is an upright heart, a good heart, a steady and upright heart. And there's an attitude about it and it's kindness. So if we're producing the fruit of the light that is goodness, we are morally upright before God, blameless. And even when we sin, we're forgiven. But we endeavor to be upright morally. That's the posture. And the attitude with others is that we're kind. We don't, we don't use the kind of abusive language that was spoken about earlier in chapter 4. We don't use decept, deception. Righteousness is the word for integrity. And it's built on the word for being right before God. It is the the attitude and the quality that makes us acceptable to God. We don't make ourselves righteous. God makes us righteous. And coming into the light, he cleanses us and he makes us right before him. And therefore, we bear that righteousness with integrity to other people. And truth, it is what it is. What is truth? Truth is reality. Truth isn't what we construct it to be. Truth isn't what I want it to be. Truth is the objective, factual reality about things, the way God made the world. And in chapter 4, earlier, verse number 15, we're told to speak the truth with what? Speak the truth with love. A little bit later when it was talking about don't be divisive in the church, we're to speak truthfully to each other. And if there's something wrong in the body, we go to one another and we speak about it truthfully. John 3, uh, at the end of a passage, I'm going to quote near the end, Jesus says that we're to practice the truth. And if we practice the truth, then we confidently can come into the light. So the summary of this is, as lights of the world, walking as lights of the world, we should prove to be witnesses, good witnesses for God, through goodness and righteousness and, and truth. And those are just exemplars. Those are examples of the way we should behave. And then we're to walk the talk. Uh, We've been labeled as children of light. We ought to walk that way. Since we've identified as children of light, he is the light of the world and he is his father is the father of lights. We identify with him. Then we should walk as children of the light, as lights in the world. We should prove to be good witnesses for God. So we let our light shine So that people might glorify God. Once again, the Sermon on the Mount. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. But we should endeavor to be. So he's not bashful at all to say to the Philippians, prove yourselves. He's speaking about light here. Light walkers. How do you walk? Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God. So there's the connection. God the Father, who's the Father of lights above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear, here it is, as lights in the world. None of us is perfect, but we ought to endeavor to walk blamelessly and innocently. And, of course, that gets back to First John uh, 1, 5 through 10. When we sin, then we confess our sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness and to cleanse us of all of our sin. The method is how to walk. It's a process. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That's interesting. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. This suggests about four or five things to me very quickly. Number one, you know, walking as light before the Lord, isn't, it's an effort. We must try. It doesn't mean that we're capable in our own right, but we must make endeavor to do so. Trying to do these things. And it's God who enables us to. Secondly, it's a dynamic thing. As we walk in the Lord, we stumble and fall, and He picks us back up. And we stumble and fall again. He picks us back up. But we then learn to walk as light, and we grow in those qualities. We grow in goodness. We grow in righteousness. We grow in truth. So it's a growing process. This trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. It it's it's active. Uh, we we exercise these qualities. None of us is in our fallen state is naturally good. Naturally righteous, naturally truthful, but we grow into that by exercising. You know, light is not static, is it? What is light? Well, it depends on which physicist you talk to. Is light a particle? Well, it's more than one. Is light particles? Yes, Jeff. Is it waves? Yes, it is. It's both. But one thing about light is it's not sitting still. If it sits still, we are in what? We're in darkness. So, light is active. We're moving on. We exercise. If we don't, and I'm going to use a mixed metaphor here, if we don't exercise, then shift of metaphors, if we don't exercise those muscles, they do what? They atrophy. So, this walking in light is an effort. It's a dynamic growing process. It's an active process moving. It's relational. It says to learn. It doesn't say to learn the principles of, although we do that. We take the Bible and we learn the principles from the Scripture. But they point to Him. We learn. That the goal is to do what? It's to please Him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, whether I'm absent or whether I'm with you, whether I'm absent or whether I'm at home with the Lord, my goal my ambition is to do is to please the lord so how do we know how to please the lord well we have the word that tells us how to do that which is filled with principles but it's not only that we need to remember it isn't our satisfying the bible that is the point i, I did not diminish the importance of scripture when i said that i hope in your mind it is a guide for us to please him and we follow everything that the word of god says it is our perfect infallible guide but in so doing we look through that word to the living word to please him that's the goal it's relational is the point point. and that helps us avoid legalism I think we talked about this morning and then uh, finally it's discipleship you know this walking as light is it's a discipleship learning process we talked about that this morning We are taught by the Word. We're taught by examples of others who are walking in the light. And then we do what? We go out and we walk, and people see our light. And they not only glorify the Father, but then they ask us, why are we doing that? And we teach them. And then next to last, do not participate in darkness. So this is different than partaking in darkness. Participating in darkness, verses 11 and 12. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. We talked about this two weeks ago. Sometimes we do have to expose dark deeds in the body. We go one-on-one at first, two-on-one, and then if they will not respond, then we bring it before the church. This is one of the problems, folks, that we have encountered in the convention over the past 40 years. We have not been brave enough to confront evil in our midst. When was the last time you heard about church discipline really being exercised? Oh, we don't want to offend people. It It is an offense not to exercise discipline when it's necessary. And so sometimes what we must do is we must expose it. Do not participate means this deals with shared behavior. Here's where we get to the the activity, and it springs from our shared identity as partakers. The word literally means to have fellowship together with, koinonia with. It's not just koinonia, but koinonia with. It's a combined word. Do you remember when we talked about uh, Philippians earlier, we said that koinonia was the word that was used when he commended them for the koinonia, the fellowship that they had with him. And what he was talking about was you have contributed to the collection for the saints to Jerusalem. So this isn't just about warm, fuzzy relationship, although that includes that fellowship. It's also about making a joint contribution together, working together, having fellowship in that way contributing to the cause of light. If we're not contributing to it, we're contributing to the cause of darkness. And then he talks about the kinds of deeds that are unfruitful deeds. And Jesus tells us about that. You, 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 can, you can tell that a tree is bad when it has what kind of fruit? Bad fruit. You can tell when a tree is good when it has good fruit. A good tree does not produce bad fruit. A bad tree does not produce good fruit. Good fruit. And every bad tree is what? Cut down and thrown into the fire. Those kinds of deeds he's talking about here. This deeds of darkness could be a number of things. You know, you get to the old genitive uh, construction in Greek grammar, and it's kind of tricky. It could be deeds produced by darkness. Okay? And that's legitimate. It could be darkness that results from the deeds, which comes first chicken or the egg. Darkness come first or the deeds first? It could be deeds that constitute darkness itself. That is, darkness is evil. And it could be dark deeds. Okay. You've kind of milked that for all it's worth, Jim. I think what it really means is this. It means deeds that are typically done in darkness. Because what does he talk about next? He talks about hidden deeds Deeds that are hidden by darkness in verses 11 and 12. Deeds that need to be exposed and brought to the light. So, whether the darkness causes the deeds or the deeds cause the darkness is a moot point. They need to be brought to the light. What are these deeds? It's very clear. He's been talking about these since earlier in chapter 4. Here he says they're disgraceful things that are done in secret that we don't even want to talk about. Uh, when we when we do, we speak about disgraceful things that are literally obscene. We don't even want to mention them. Secret deeds that are hidden by the darkness. What are these sins of darkness? Very clearly, he has very clearly identified what they are. So you go back to four nineteen: sensuality, sexual, uh, I mean, impurity, and greed. Those three things. Now, that doesn't cover all the sins, but it's interesting. He repeats this over and over and over. In 419, look at it. Sensuality, impurity, and greed are covetousness. And then, in, the, in last week, Kevin talked about what in 5.3? Sexual immorality, there it is again, impurity, and greed. And then in verse 5 of chapter 5, just before this passage, he talks about people who are sexually immoral, people who are impure, and people who are greedy. I think he's on a theme here. I think he's on a roll. Those are the kind of deeds that he's talking about. Now, what's interesting about it, when you look at Colossians, the third chapter, then, a lot of Colossians sounds sort of like what he's saying to the Ephesians. He identifies immorality, impurity, and greed, and he says there that those amount to, Colossians 3, 5, they amount to the same thing as idolatry. Ah, well, look here, chapter 5, verse 5, persons who are sexually immoral, impure, greedy, and then what? Idolaters. You see, all of these sins are the kinds of sins that take our eyes off of God and we worship the world. They need to be exposed. The King James Version says to be reproved. The modern translations say to be exposed. So why do we do that? Because it's our responsibility as children of light to shed evil, shed light, and when we do it, it exposes evil. It's our responsibility in the body to purge it. We need to be better at doing that and it's our responsibility as teachers to hold people accountable for it. It's a result, friends, of doing what he's already told us in chapter four, speak the truth, but do it in love and do not speak falsehood. It's a matter of fellowship. You see, if we're gonna have fellowship with one another, we cannot have the deeds of darkness in our midst because if there are people walking in our midst and if we are, and if we are they, we need to confess. If we say we have fellowship, but we say we have no sin and we don't confess our sin, we're what? We're liars. We're not practicing the truth, and it needs to be exposed. Okay, and then last of all, verses 13 through 14. But all things become visible when they're exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason I say, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Bringing light was Christ's undefeatable purpose. In him was life, and that life was the what? Light of men. The light has shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not what? Overcome it. This was his undefeatable purpose, and his light brings life in several ways. It reveals, it revives, it reassures, and it reflects. Look at verse 13. It reveals. You see, his light will reveal the dark deeds. It not only reveals the bad deeds, it reveals the what? The good deeds. When they're exposed to the light, for everything becomes visible in the light. The good deeds of those that come into the light and also the bad deeds that, try to, that are trying to be hidden in the darkness. It exposes everything. In other words, what he's saying here is everyone's accountable. It convicts of sin when it does this. This is the judgment, Jesus said. Light has come into the world, and yet men love the light. Know what? Men hated the light because why? Their deeds were evil, and they feared the light. They didn't want to come into light because they knew if they came into light, their deeds would be exposed. So there you've got that side of it. But then he gives the other side of the equation. He says, however, the opposite is true for, the, for those that are of the light, for everyone who Uh, Does good, comes into the light so that it might seem that what that person has done that is good is wrought not by themselves, but by God. So you see this revealing is both evil and good. Two more things quickly. Christ's light revives. For this reason I say, awake sleeper, arise from the dead. We come full back, back. We loop it back to the text that we used earlier. Isaiah 60. Awake. Awake, the light has come to reveal. Revelation of sin does what? It brings conviction, and Paul has already talked about this earlier in chapter 2 when he said, And you were once dead in your trespasses and sin. Implied there is what had to happen. You had then to become convicted of your sin. You had to come into the light, and it was exposed, and you walked away from your former way of walking. This light awakens believers too, not just those that are unbelievers and, and conviction. Romans 13 says, Do this, knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep has come, for now salvation is nearer than it ever was when you believed. The night is almost gone, the day is near. Therefore, lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Be vigilant, he tells the Thessalonians. We're not of the night, we're not of the darkness, so then we don't sleep as others, but we keep awake and we're sober. So you see, it not only convicts, but it also revives even those of us that become lethargic. And then finally, light reassures and it reflects. And Christ will shine on you. What does that mean? Well, it can mean many things. I think Peter tells us something about what it means when it, when it reassures us and gives us hope. When we walk into the light of Christ and he shines upon us, when we come together in worship and we celebrate together as a congregation when we hear anthems, was it an anthem this morning? Uh, I've got peace like a river. I've got joy like a what? Was it a mountain? Fountain, yeah. And it, we have peace, love, lovely. what was the what was the one that was the mountain? It was an ocean, and then I thought there was a mountain in there. Yeah. When we celebrate, when we celebrate, whatever it was, okay all i know that i was enraptured okay what does it do it gives us hope and reassurance until christ comes again so we have the prophetic word made sure he tells peter tells us to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts who is the morning star Christ. So it gives us hope when he shines. And it reflects God's glory. Being light in the world, people see our deeds and they glorify God. And as Jesus said, when we practice the truth, we come into the light and people know that what we have done is done by God. So we're exhorted to walk as children of the light, partaking, participating, and confessing the light. We have a choice to make. You know, there's no gray and in-between, but it sort of links back to what I was talking about this morning. Sometimes when we walk kind of joy- joyously and it becomes mundane, our light begins to flicker and it needs to be revived. And we need to fan the flames and let God reignite it so that in, in fact our beam will be stronger than a 24-mile beam from a lighthouse on the coast of North Carolina. People will see it from afar and know the one for whom we shine.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church sermon podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gamble Street Baptist Church has six church goals, to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.